This is Channel 253. In this episode of Gimme the Mic. It's going to force us to pull together as a community in a way that we haven't done so before and to be creative. And where we're seeing the most innovative, um, really bang up stuff happen is where people are saying kind of rules and, and norms be damned. We need to solve this and let's bring people together, no matter what their rank or position might be that are interested in solving this. And let's just let's just move and let's go and do some things. Channel 253 is a member supported podcast network. I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I'm asking you to become a member and show your support. Go to channel253.com slash membership to join. Thank you. Give me the mic. Give me the mic. My name is Diane Tilstra, and I've asked for the mic today because I am concerned about how the pandemic is impacting our regional nonprofit organizations and our communities. So joining me today is Seth Kirby, Greater Tacoma Community Foundation, Erica Tucci, Ben B. Cheney Foundation, and Holly Bamford Hunt, the Bamford Foundation. So I want to thank each of you for joining me today to share how you and your organizations are faring since the shutdown in March of this year for COVID-19. So let's start with you, Seth. What would you tell us about your role? Tell us about your role at G- uh, Greater Tacoma Community Foundation and how your organization has been affected by this pandemic. And then last but not least, you can include how you are pivoting to provide support to organizations. Hi, Diane. Thanks so much for asking me to um, join the conversation today. Um, my name is Seth Kirby, and I'm the Vice President for Community Impact at Greater Tacoma Community Foundation. And, um, and kind of reflecting on how the, how the pandemic has been um, impacting our organization, I think one of the things, of course, is um, the, the shift to working remotely. And um, that being a, a learning curve, at least for myself. Um, so I think that's still an ongoing um, you know, aspect of, of learning that I'm, I'm hearing about, um, from, uh, from my colleagues, um, both at GTCF and beyond. Um, but I think one of the stories I wanted to share is, uh, kind of in mid March of this year, we, we really did start to shift, um, our focus by, uh, launching Pierce County connected with United way and, uh, about 55 other um, philanthropic partners, including the Bamford Foundation and Cheney Foundation, to uh, make sure that we can have an aligned philanthropic response to the emerging community needs that were happening at the time and ongoing related to COVID-19. And I think that uh, the launch of uh, Pierce County Connected and that funds and effort has done a lot to shift uh, how our organization is, is working and operating right now. And I'll give a few examples. Um, so one of the things that we did early on was really to start to um, focus on delivering rapid funding to organizations um, in a way that really supports continued services, um, especially during this time to the populations that are most impacted and vulnerable. Um, and also doing that with the fewest barriers possible. So working with Erica, Holly, and many other uh, 
other folks in, in addition to um, my colleagues at GTCF. Um, for example, we did things like um, shifting our um, funding so that funding was distributed weekly um, and grants were um, going out um, as quickly as possible. Um, the other thing that we did is start to name the philanthropic tools that are available right now, um, advocacy and communication in addition to funding and starting to think um, deeply about how we can use advocacy and communication in addition to funding to support uh, the needs that the community is having right now and to tell those stories. Um, and then I think the other uh, piece that um, I've been doing a lot personally and I, I, in talking with others, it sounds like a lot of other people have been doing is um, taking time for reflection and um, organizationally and with um, Pierce County Connected Partners, we did some uh, reflecting in uh, mid-June of this year to talk about how the, the fund had been operating so far and what we could do moving ahead. And I think a couple of the lessons learned um, were really powerful. For example, um, making sure that we're um, really sharing um, updates um, to the community really uh, in a way that's frequent and clear and uh, the, the, um, the kind of overview of Pierce County Connected is on our website, but that has a lot of information. So making sure that we're offering that um, as quickly as possible to the community and um, also thinking about uh, what is possible with aligned funding. So having some clear and urgent priorities and some shared values means that we can um, deploy um, rapid funding and other supports um, to achieve maximum impact. I think those are the, I'll stop there, but I think those are some of the key ways that um, the um, the pandemic has been impacting our organization and how we've um, been um, been partnering with others in the community to um, to to uh, both support the community and also to have the maximum possible impact. Seth, thank you so much. That was uh, packed with some great information. Um, I'd like to move on to you, Erica. Would you like to just? sort of give our audience a little um, introduction for you and answer the, you know, the call to what's happening with your organization. Sure, absolutely. Thanks again for having us here today. This is a great group. We've become um, pretty good friends over this last few months working really close together. So I'm glad to be here. Um, so I'm Erica Tucci and I'm the senior program officer here at the Cheney Foundation. Um, I've been here about a year, so I get a redo on my first year. Um, it has been, it has not been exactly what we thought, but it's been great, um, great all the same. So here at the Cheney Foundation, we work in communities in Washington, Oregon, and California, um, locations where the Cheney Lumber Mills operated. So um, my day on any given day right now can go from um, working with FEMA and disaster philanthropy in Oregon mm -hmm. to um, talking to groups of grant writers who are really maybe thought fatigued, I'll call it, just exhausted and need some new ideas about ways to go about um, fundraising and grant writing right now, um, to checking in with our long standing grantees and nonprofit partners in the communities that we serve and just really hearing um, what they need and how we can help them. Um, 
And some of that work includes just getting on the ground in the community so, to the best of our virtual ability right now and understanding um, where the government sector is, where the policymakers are thinking, um, because to make informed, for me anyway, to make a grant um, informed granting decisions, we need to know the landscape of everybody and all of the resources and what's happening in the thinking. Um, so it's pretty interesting. I've gotten to know these communities um, fairly well across the three states. Um, during the early stages of the Pierce County Connected Response, spamming everybody's inbox with the Pierce County Connected Daily Report. And that was our way of helping um, get a 30,000 foot look on the community and understand what we were facing um, from the nonprofit needs side, what the government sector was doing and moving on and how quickly um, and just really aggregate this information into a daily report in hopes of um, helping and fund the grant, helping inform the grant making that was happening so we could be putting the resources to best use, um, but also to take some of that administrative burden off of our, um, our partners on the ground who are really being burdened yeah. with a lot of clients and sudden loss or shift of funding and they're just yeah. exhausted. And so we thought, well, if we could put this report together um, and just help ease some of that burden and that thought burden for everybody and vet information and help make better decisions um, than we could. So we had about 30 people on any given day that were feeding into this almost uh -huh. theme like incident command structure um, to get information into that report. And it was really a unique and cool process to be part mm -hmm. of in Pierce County commun community. And um, just really a testament to, I think, who we are as Pierce County and the uniqueness mm -hmm. of our um, ability to connect and, and come together. Uh, so for us here at the foundation, we jumped into some key roles for Pierce County Connected, but we have also uh, reformatted and revisited some of our own administrative processes, sped up our board meeting timelines to make rapid grants, um, really deconstructed our application to make sure it was not burdensome um, mm -hmm. and not an administrative nightmare, restructured some of our reporting. And those are things that we're actually looking for long-term at this point. And so it's been a good chance for us to step back, test something and reevaluate. Um, how we can be most helpful going forward. That's a great uh, report. Thanks so much. Um, I thought that I didn't feel spammed at all on those COVID <laughs> updates. You know, I thought it was just uh, amazing that in a historical moment in this county uh, that you guys were able to pull that all together so that it was like a little bit of a lifeline when there was just so much information flying around about how to protect yourself from with COVID and um, it was great. Thank you for doing it. Yeah. Okay, so now we're gonna move on to Holly Bamford-Hunt. Well, thank you again for having us um, and uh, glad to be here. And before I jump in uh, um, on the Bamford Foundation's take on this, I also want to commend um, Erica for her leadership in that particular um, project of the um, the daily report that really um, that was you know part of my experience uh, and our foundation's experience in Pierce County connected um, to uh, really have um, that way to just centralize some of that information that was going around so quickly um, and um, like much of uh, what Seth has shared as well as Erica um, our time uh, as a smaller family foundation that focuses um, specifically in Tacoma and Pierce County and supporting um, quality of life and communities uh, to thrive. Um, and that's a really broad uh, 
you know, kind of mission, but um, what we've found is that uh, it's been really important to continue to um, focus on uh, doing a lot of listening and learning uh, from our grantees in our priority areas um, uh, as far as um, access and opportunity and education across the lifespan, um, as well as uh, our family foundation does work a lot in um, human services and the safety net. And so it was really so important to us to be a part of something collectively um, and something that could be responsive and really listening uh, to what was happening on the ground. Um, and so essentially from our perspective with uh, the pandemic, um, just have been trying to do just a lot of that. Um, that's been said, a lot of listening and um, learning from our grantees uh, and their um, experiences. The uh, I do have, you know, concerns. I think um, Erica shared this as well. The the burden, the concerns about burnout um, with frontline staff of organizations and our our executive directors and community leaders um, that. This um, has has been a really challenging time, and um, and also inspiring. I mean, it's it's incredible to see the efforts uh, that have just continued to happen um, among grassroots community groups, community volunteers, organizations, mm -hmm. uh, businesses, um, and and uh, organizations. Our schools, our healthcare systems, how. People have come together in unique and innovative ways to try and address the urgent and the immediate needs that people are experiencing, and especially people farthest from justice—you know, any uh, racial justice, farthest from um, access to resources—and um, to see how there, you know, are these um, efforts to collectively um, think about the immediate needs as well as what needs to happen in terms of long-term system change. And so it's, um, while it, I recognize and want to acknowledge just sort of the, the um, exhaustion that a lot of people are feeling, it's, there's also an element of this is, it, it fuels everyone to keep doing this because there's, there's something hopeful about that too, to really be collectively trying to work together. Um, and anyway, to go back, sorry, I always go like way up, <laughs> but uh, our, our organization as well, just as a family foundation, we've been doing a lot of addressing, um, just trying to follow along uh, recommended best practices of relaxing reporting guidelines for grantees, um, shifting programmatic to general operational funding for organizations, um, many of the um, uh, things that have been shared as well uh, in terms of um, just really trying to be as, as responsive as possible. And um, we've definitely tried to devote additional resources, mm -hmm. um, you know, continue ongoing support for organizations, but uh, contribute and uh, dedicate additional resources for um, impacts of the pandemic that we may not even know yet, <laughs> as we know it's ongoing and shifting. So, so just wanted to share that and and trying to think about what where, um, and that's it's been helpful to be part of this group where the gaps um, are in terms of government and other resources. Um, so just be thinking about what our role can be in supporting that. Thank you so much, Holly. That was great. Um, we're going to take a minute break for sponsors. <laughs> Thank you. 
Hi, I'm Eric Hanberg, host of the Channel 253 podcast, We Art Tacoma. And I've been a member of TAPCO Credit Union since I was a kid, really. My parents set up a savings account for me, and I've had that account with them ever since. In fact, my first credit card wasn't from a big bank, it was from TAPCO, and I still have that too. What I appreciate about TAPCO is they are intensely local. Just like Channel 253, TAPCO keeps its focus on Tacoma and Pierce County. They have easy-to-reach branches and ATMs in the Tacoma area, and when I don't want to drive, I just use their online or mobile banking. To this day, TAPCO helps parents teach kids good savings habits. The Moolah Kids Club teaches kids about savings, not only through interest on their money, but with special prizes and discounts at local attractions. So if you want to help your kids start a savings account the same way my parents did, check out our local credit union at tapcocu.org. My thanks to TAPCO for their support of this podcast and Channel 253. We're going to talk about some insights and long-term economic impacts of the pandemic. That's going to be a big issue, I think, coming up. So we're going to, and I'll start with you, Seth, if you don't mind. Yeah, for the long-term economic impacts. um, I mean, I think one of the things that uh, one of the stories that that um, question uh, was making me think about was um, a recent um, uh, funding decision to uh, support the Center for Applied Urban Research at UW Tacoma uh, to do uh, some research and a landscape scan around um, the digital divide locally. There's a lot of information at the state level, and there's some pieces available locally, but um, you know, that's one, one area that we've been thinking a lot about is, um, you know, at this point, people can't um, find a job, uh, seek housing, apply for benefits, um, access healthcare, et cetera, without having access to technology and the connectivity um, and the knowledge to know how to, you know, use those devices. Um, and that has long-term um, you know, has short-term and also long-term impacts. And so uh, that's one area that we've been looking at um, in terms of um, how to, how to um, work with other uh, funders and uh, the broader community to make sure that we, ca- we all have access to that knowledge. Um, mm-hmm. So that's a, uh, a piece that has been funded through Pierce County Connected. And um, as it's um, completed, will be shared out more broadly. Um, I think there are um, a number of other impacts. The the funding uh, for Pierce County Connected has been primarily focused on um, childcare supports and um, housing shelter needs and then food access. And I think that those are still three of the very core issues that um, we're hearing about and seeing that have um, significant impacts um, for you know individuals and families as well as the broader community. Thank you so much. Erica, any in- insights that you might have about future economic impact here in this region? Yeah, so I'm an economist by training and uh, we tend to be pessimistic types. Mm-hmm. Um, my outlook's a little bit mixed bag, but I'm definitely the kind that dreads ahead of what's to come and some of the trend data that we're seeing. Um, The shorthand answer that I use in a lot of conversations is we can't buy our way out of this. There's just not enough money in philanthropy. There's not enough money in government. There's just going to be no magic windfall of cash that buys 
our way out of this. But the upside to that is, is that it, it's going to force us to pull together as a community in a way that we haven't done so before and to be creative. And where we're seeing the most innovative, um, really bang up stuff happen is where people are saying kind of rules and, and norms be damned. We need to solve this and let's bring people together, no matter what their rank or position might be that are interested in solving this. And let's just let's just move and let's go and do some things. Um, so that individual contribution to society is going to become increasingly important, whether it's financial, whether it's time, talent, expertise, whether it's that community leadership of getting those people around the table to think about something in a new and, and different way. There's just no business as usual anymore. And um, so that's the opportunity that we have if we have folks that are able and willing to seize it and move forward. And maybe that's the phoenix that rises from the ashes, that we build this community that's more collaborative and together than individual. Thank you. I'm, I'm hoping that that word sustainable will show up as well, mm -hmm. a sustainable community, ultimately, if we get to design it. Yeah. Holly, what are your insights in the future of the economic impact of this well, I, I um, definitely agree and support uh, what Seth and Erica have shared and have been um, doing some thinking along with, yeah, I've got a couple um, entrepreneurial business people um, in my family on my board. So we have had a number of <laughs> conversations about um, the, the word that you just used, Diane, design, but um, that role of design thinking and especially community informed design that places people with lived experience at the center of, of um, thinking about the solutions. So, per, you know, through this, um, all these challenges that maybe puts us in a place to think about how, you know, how can we actually emerge stronger in some ways and as a community, as a local community. And I think there are um, also in our wheelhouse just in terms of thinking about educational opportunities and job training so thinking about cross-sector or you know what are the emerging sort of um, uh, business living wage um, job opportunities and what sort of training or um, resources and support it might require to uh, enable new kinds of job opportunities and also to really support the diverse talents and resources assets that we have in our city mm -hmm. um, to uh, to lead and to to build businesses or solve issues that they they are the experts on and you know thinking about it in that in that way so it is um, it's definitely going to be a long haul that's it's more of a long haul thing and I think we all you know thinking back to March when we thought it was just going to be a month or two and everything was going to be back back to business it's clearly not that and so I think uh, you know collectively as a member of the funding community we're just thinking about how we can uh, be supportive of, of that kind of collaborative work um, to rethink some systems and and work smarter I guess yeah. um, with few potentially fewer resources thank you yeah, I think you're right. I think we are going to have to work a lot smarter. And and it's also about helping take care of one another in our community. It's really all about that, I think. Thank you for that. And um, I, there is a question I wanted to ask you because this is sort of a movement that has started uh, coincidentally with this uh, pandemic. Uh, we were moving into 
the issues of Black Lives Matter and diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I know for me, I'm in three different organizations and we're all working on DEI issues. We're all studying it, you know, doing, you know, glossary, uh, you know, studies. And I just wanted to know if you guys would like to contribute what's happening within your uh, organization with regard to DEI. And we can start with you, Erica. Sure. Yeah. I think for us, what that's meant in this moment, particularly, is really listening to the communities we work with and really listening to um, the folks on the ground on a particular issue. And, mm-hmm. and we ask them all the time, tell us what you need. Tell us what you need from us. Tell us how we can be most helpful. And sometimes that's money and sometimes that's thought partnership. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's sharing what we've learned here in Pierce County down into Northern California. So that answer is very different, but we always let them guide the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of my, my favorite examples from that is one of the communities we work with in Oregon, two towns burned to the ground completely. And you see these initial pictures off the ground and you talk to, you know, our friends that are on the ground working there and they're just crying and it's devastating. And the initial reaction is just to take money and throw it like just here, take, take some money and, and do what you need. But we sat back and listened for a couple of weeks and listened to the leaders in that community and let them, um, unfold what that funding mix was going to look like. Let FEMA get on the ground, let them identify what the core issues were. And what they came back to us with was, well, we've got this large population of agricultural workers, and we've got this large population of seniors that were living in mobile homes. And FEMA is not going to be able to help either population for a host of different reasons. Um, And so we were able to better direct our, our thought partnership, better able to direct our money, and in the end of the day, put it in a place where it was really going to be helpful to serve those specific communities that really weren't going to receive assistance from much of the other resources on the ground for different reasons. Yeah, cool. That's a great idea. How about you? How about uh, Bamford? Yeah, you know, this uh, absolutely um, thinking about our our communities. movement for racial justice has been, just has to be central to our work, I think, collectively as members of the funding community. And um, so, and as a family foundation, I think we've had an opportunity to um, just further, uh, you know, do the, do two things. One, turn inward and do some reflection on our, you know, ourselves as a individual's family and as an organization mm-hmm. um, and how, we're a part of a system that is really based, you know, on historical racism when you're thinking about the philanthropic, um, the world of philanthropy, and then also really um, uh, doing a lot of, uh, again, um, as Erica shared, listening with our current and, um, and our current grantees and other organizations really to hear about what, um, and to learn how best to support uh, what can create um, change for, for justice. And I think, you know, specifically in some of our areas, um, where we have been doing, uh, a lot of funding, we're trying to think about that landscape of racial justice and how it, it relates to areas that we've funded over the years, um, whether it's maternal child health, um, equity or, um, access to, um, educational opportunities or out of school time um, learning opportunities. Uh, Again, birth, you know, K-12 and um, higher ed and uh, post-secondary job training and um, thinking about what our role can be um, 
in supporting uh, also where this, you know, I mean, this was something we were working on, but it is becoming very clear that we need to be really um, intentional about our, uh, our processes for data collection and also communicating our commitment to equity and, and becoming more clear on how we define and, and share that. So um, it's, and knowing that it's, this is not, again, this is something that's a long haul. And I was just thinking of our, our uh, friend, Lyle Kwasim, who's quoted in the Seattle Times and, you know, talking about this, the yeah. struggle is, um, you know, if you keep the struggle in front of you and if you're in it, you're, it's winning is always right there in front of you and you can't, you can't stop and um, mm -hmm. acknowledging that, uh, you know, for those of us like our family who have benefited from systems of white privilege, it's easier to step out of that and not stay in the feeling of discomfort and that it's important to be, mm -hmm. um, that we, it's going to take all of us to really work for mm -hmm. justice. So, I mean, that's this philosophical <laughs> perspective on my side, but we're, we're taking steps um, with as far as some of the policies and uh, processes we're working on changing this year, so. So Seth, how's, uh, how's that shaking out at the Greater Tacoma Community Foundation? One of the things that um, was clear um, early on as um, the realities with COVID started to hit our community and um, continue to be is that the, um, the communities um, who have been most impacted by COVID are also the communities and networks often with fewest, with the least access to resources. And um, I think what the, the process for GTCF has, has been that in our, our vision of a thriving Pierce County, we are being um, explicit that racial equity has to be part of that. We can't have a thriving, we can't have a thriving Pierce County without racial equity. Mm -hmm. um, and that includes um, recognizing those systems and structures that are um, that are racist, and and naming that, and um, working with others to um, to to dismantle and adjust those systems. Um, and I think one example is um, just as we've gone through this process with COVID and looking at the conditions for COVID it is only highlighting the systems that were already inequitable to begin with. Um, those aren't inequities that became that way because of COVID. Um, so I think one of the things that um, has been a powerful process for GTCF internally is, is to go through a process of um, you know, making, a, making a public commitment around racial equity. Um, and that's on our website, but I think that those are the, the steps and actions that GTCF is committing to, I think are ones that are, um, they're powerful for me, they're important to me personally. And um, I'm grateful to be able to work at an organization that's, that, that is taking those steps. Um, I think one of the pieces that um, has been really eye-opening for me is uh, we, uh, through our whole child work with Tacoma Public Schools, um, some of our staff team was um, introduced to an organization called the Racial Equity Institute, and they offer a training series called Groundwater. But um, while well, the, 
the um, information through that training wasn't necessarily new to me. I think it does offer an image of um, racism, unfortunately, being in the in the groundwater that exists in our mm-hmm. in our community and in our society. And so it's it's offered, um, I think, um, me and others a helpful way of talking about uh, those systems um, and what we might be able to do to change those systems um, so that we can have a a thriving Pierce County that is um, that includes racial equity. Mm. And I guess I would also just reiterate um, the piece that Holly and Erica said of um, in order to, um, I think, navigate this time and um, sustain some of the um, new ways of doing our work together, it does have to be together. And that's the um, not only the opportunity with response to the pandemic, but it's also the opportunity as we think about um, racial equity and um, inclusion moving forward. Thank you, Seth. You guys really made my morning because this is really what I was, the nugget I was striking for was to share with the community how much our funders are all working together to make a better community, a safe, anti-racist, inclusive community. And uh, so thank you for all of that. Um, Last but not least, uh, we've got a few more minutes. And I just for fun wanted to know if you guys are reading any good books. I'm deep into Overstory by Richard Powers. That's my that's my go-to book right now. How about you, Holly? You reading anything good? I well, I I tend to read like parts several books at a time and in small bits <laughs> because I find I'm reading a lot of articles and things like that. Um, so I recently, but. One of the books that, um, oh my gosh, and I'm forgetting the title, but the author, this is just a book of um, essays, essentially like daily essays by an author, Ross Gay. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've um, heard of that book yeah. and I'll, I'll look it up by the time, <laughs> the time that we uh, forget, but it is just, it's a lovely, um, just thinking about the, the beauty and joy that you can find in each day. Cool. Thank um, you. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Seth, how about you? Anything good? Well, I, um, I happen to live with a librarian, uh, my spouse. And so um, I um, am uh, always learning about new books. But um, one, of, uh, the fi- one of my favorite book series is um, it's called Bustletown. And it's a, it's a series of board books about the seasons. And because there are no words, um, I can make up the stories. Um, they can be different stories every day uh, as I uh, read through those with my toddlers. So that's been um, really a fun uh, treat to look through the Bustletown series and the different seasons that are featured and um, find the, find the stories that are uh, meaningful for that day. So you're teaching your toddler how to make up stories. Exactly. Yeah. That's cool. Very cool. I like that. How about you, Erica? Yeah, I'm the kind of person that has like stacks of books and stacks of podcasts and stacks of audio books. And there's just never enough time in the world. Um, also the type of person that has like nothing fluffy in those stacks because I just want to learn all the things. So the most interesting one right now um, is called Deadliest Enemy. And it's written by mm-hmm. two gentlemen that work for the um, CDC at really high levels in um, virus investigation and um, outbreaks and things like that. So they've republished it with a foreword on COVID-19. And so just really diving into um, all of all of that virus and transmission 
Yeah. So it's a kind of an epidemiology lesson. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 I know you see some of these epidemiologists get so excited because they get to study this and they get to figure it all out. And we're all going, what's so exciting about this? Definitely (laughs) their moment. Don't get so excited. You know, calm down. <laughs> so. Well, Diane, I was going to say, I re- the title of the book is called The Book of Delights. And oh, Ross nice. also has written many books of poetry as well. But um, Book of Delights is okay. it's a good one for a little bit of a escape at the a same respite. time. You know, a respite yeah, book. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. Well, that uh, winds it up today. And uh I want to thank you all for your willingness to be part of this uh, podcast with me as your moderator. And that's a wrap for Gimme the Mic. Did you know Channel 253 is member supported? I'm producer Doug Mackey, and I hope you will show your support by going to channel253.com slash membership and join. Thank you. Give Me the Mic is part of the Channel 253 Podcast Network. Check out our other shows, Nerd Farmer, Interchangeable White Ladies, We Art Tacoma, Move to Tacoma, Taco Man, Flounder's B-Team, Crossing Division, Citizen Tacoma, and What Say You? This is Channel 253.